the distinct pleasure of introducing our local legend, homegrown hero, um, speaker for this evening. Many of you know him. Um, I first met uh, Tucker Yates, this is going on 25 years ago. So, uh, Tucker had just moved here from Florida, and I was a junior high youth group little snot-nosed kid. And some of you guys might have known him from back in those days. And one thing that I remember most specifically about Tucker from when we were growing up is that if you stepped out of line, he's the only youth group leader I knew who would physically injure you. <laughs> he would push you or punch you. And this was the 90s, and there were no rules, and it was fine. Uh, but Tucker invested big, just like he continues to do today. Tucker invested big um, in our, you know, I've been in uh, seven or eight of his Bible studies. Um, he encourages you in your faith and in your walk with Christ. And that's something that uh, outside of me growing up with my folks at home, um, y'all might have had this same experience with Tucker. Outside of my parents, uh, Tucker encouraged me in my faith more than anybody else in the world. And he quickly uh, developed into a close friend and mentor of mine. And um, over the years, he was even the, the, I convinced my wife that he was going to be the preacher of my wedding. <laughs> and, I bet, and I know he's been the preacher or officiant in some of y'all's weddings as well, Bobby Jackson. Um, we're, um, no, we're, we're super excited. For the last uh, six years, Tucker's been the, the lead of our men's small group. And I see a bunch of the guys, Slow Jim, good to see you. A bunch of guys in our small group that Tucker leads. Um, and it's neat because he just encourages us as we walk through life. We're going through, whether it's a family thing or a career thing, um, whatever the challenges are, he encourages and, you know, for us to support each other. And one thing that I'm real excited about and that he's going to share with us tonight um, is about his ministry and his purpose. Um, Tucker has invested time in, in lots of you guys, and um, it's been really exciting to see him and his area of giftedness and his ministry, um, which he'll share more with you. So uh, please join me in welcoming local legend, Tucker Yates. Awesome. Thanks, guys. How's our sound? We good? Can you guys hear me in the back? Sounds good? All right. Awesome. Hey, like Clayton said, this is, um, this is Purpose on Tap number 18. And uh, some of you have been around from the beginning. Some of you, this is your first time here. Uh, but we appreciate you guys being here. And uh, we're very, um, we're excited to see what this, this is going to hold for us in the future. Um, so thank you guys for being here. Um, two and a half weeks ago, two, two weeks and two days ago, uh, Monday morning, November 19th, I drove over to a good friend of mine's house uh, to pick him up, to take him to the Metro Atlanta Recovery Residence Center over in Doraville, an alcohol rehabilitation center. Um, two days before that, uh, that Friday afternoon, we sat in his living room and he agreed that he would go to this rehab center. 30 years of drinking and just Put your head around this. Drinking at least a 12-pack a day, 30 years. That's impressive. I'm like, dude, how's your liver? You know, it's surviving. All three of them that he's probably had to have. 30 years of drinking a 12-pack a day, three years of failed AA, and the threat of his second marriage about to end. He finally said, enough is enough, and I'm going to go. I'm going to go to rehab. 
So that was Friday afternoon. So it was not until Monday morning that I could go and pick him up. So I, all weekend, I'm getting six, seven, eight phone calls a day from him. And what does he continue to ask me the entire time? Tucker, am I going to be okay? This is a 52-year-old man who's talking to me like he's four years old. Am I going to be okay? Am I going to make it? Is my marriage going to survive? Am I going to survive this? My response very simply to him was, work the program and we'll see what happens. So I go over there to pick him up, go over to his house to pick him up, and obviously his anxiety level has gone from here to about here. He's very nervous. Uh, we, he gets in the car and for the next 30 minutes he proceeds to light one cigarette with the next one with a cracked window cracked about about an inch. It was like a Cheech and Chong mobile as I'm, we're driving down Buford Highway with just smoke blowing out of the windows everywhere. Um, thankfully, there's some older guys here who know who Cheech and Chong are. Some of you guys don't know who that is. Google that when you get home and you'll figure out what Cheech and Chong is. Um, but we, we drive over there and his anxiety level is getting higher and higher and higher because he is having more and more and more fear as to what he is getting ready to walk into because he doesn't know what he's walking into. And I didn't know what we were driving over to get involved with. But finally we get there, we even stopped at a quick trip right across the street from it and I thought, man, he could run. But if he runs, he runs. I didn't follow him into the stall, but I stood right there with him, wanted to make sure he didn't take off. But we get over there and we get in and to get him there, I had to basically tell a little bit of a fib because I did not correct him when he said, I'm glad this is just a 30 day program because I knew all along that this was a 90-day program that he was walking into. So we get there, and if I got, if I got FU'd three times, I got FU'd about 500 times in that first hour, Good. screaming at me. And if you've never been with somebody in this situation, it's not pleasant. But I said, that's fine, bring it on to me. You know, you can yell at me, that's fine, I don't mind. But somehow we were able to get him calmed down, we were able to get him checked in, and I knew once he paid for the first month that he was at least going to stay for a month. It was 10 grand. Okay, that's not cheap. That's a lot of money. I saw the Amex receipt. So we get him there, and he gets checked in. And then the, the girl that checks us in says, Well, you can walk down the hall and see some of the other guys and have some lunch with them. Well, the walk down the hall was about for me to that back door, but it felt like it was about 10 miles. Because I knew, yes, he was signed in, but guys, I knew that if the community that he was walking into, the community of guys that he was walking into, that if that part did not work, this whole thing was not going to work. The community had to work for him to achieve the sole purpose of MAR, the Metro Atlanta Recovery Residence Center, for him to achieve the single purpose of what they are trying to do because of their whole purpose is to get him sober because when he is sober his relationships his career his family whatever you want to call it that's going to begin to work but he had to get sober first and that community had to work and that walk down that hall to say that my guts were just wrenching would be an understatement but we walk in that room and it's a room a lot like this with guys that looked just like him he blended right in his anxiety went down, my anxiety went down. But the fear level that he had walking into something that he didn't know what he was walking into, it was palpable. I mean, you could, you could just, I could just feel it as I'm with him. 
He told me on the car ride over we'd been friends for 15 years and I'd never known him when he was sober. I had never been around him, so I never knew. So this is a lot that he is walking into, but he walks into that room, he's able to embrace the community, and because he can embrace the community, he's two weeks and two days into a program that I'm hoping and praying he stays 90 days. Because if the community works, he can understand and he can grasp the purpose of that facility, and that purpose is to get him sober. I want to fast, I want to rewind 2,500 years ago to 500 BC and another girl who figured out her purpose. 500 years, 500 BC, there's a king in the land of Persia. Now, a hat to somebody who can tell me Persia is now what country? Okay, well, you guys just fight over it. Somebody figure out who gets it. I'll, I'll give one over there to somebody. You guys, can, you guys can fight it out. Nobody was supposed to know the answer to that. Modern day Persia, which is now Iran. King Ahasuerus has been having a rager of a party with his friends for the last couple of weeks. And he decides, hey, I've got a great idea. I'm going to call my wife to come in and do a strip tease or a pole dance or whatever you want to call it in front of all my friends so I can prove to them how beautiful she is. Well, as any good queen would do today, she refuses. But she refused him, and as a result of that, she was instantly kicked out of the kingdom. This was not like today where she could, you know, maybe figure out a way to have some, you know, stay in the kingdom. I didn't want to do a pole dance. It didn't work out that way. So an edict goes out over the land. We need a new queen. Well, there's a Jewish fellow who lives in the town, and his name which is still a popular name today, was Mordecai. <laughs> I, conv I convinced a girl that I was dating one time that my little sister's name was Mordecai. That's a true story. Um, and Mordecai has a younger cousin that, that her parents died, and he adopts her to kind of become his own child. And she goes, he goes to her and says, I think you, as a Jewish woman in Persia, which is not a good combination, but I think you have the opportunity to be the queen because of how beautiful you are. So through a long series, and obviously I wouldn't be telling you the story if it didn't work out the right way, but through a long series of events, she becomes the queen. So this is a Jewish woman who is now a queen in a Persian court. Not quite as bad as being Jewish living in Germany in the 1940s or say being an, an African-American in the slave trade, but there was a lot of tension there. It was a, it was a hard thing. And Mordecai's feeling pretty proud of himself, so he's hanging out at a local watering hole somewhere, and he overhears this guy named Haman bragging that he has just convinced the king of Persia to wipe out all of the Jews that live in Persia. Well, Mordecai is instantly faced with a dilemma. I know somebody who can stop this from happening. So he goes to Esther, and he says, Esther, here's the situation. This guy named Haman wants to wipe out all of the Jews in Persia. You have been placed in a strategic position at an opportune time, and you have an incredible opportunity to do something about this. Or you can just keep your mouth shut and all the Jews can die. What's Esther's first reaction? Fear. My buddy's reaction to what he's getting into 
was fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of what's going to happen. She has three strikes, nine strikes already against her because any of these things could lead to her death. She would have to go talk to the king, which is, you don't just go and talk to the king, even if you're the queen, he can dismiss you. She has to tell him she's Jewish and she has to tell him to reverse this edict, this idea that he has come up with. And she decides, okay, I've got this opportunity in front of me, so no matter what happens, I'm going to do this. So she goes to the king and says, hey, this is my situation. I need you to save my people. And of course he does it. And the funny thing is, Haman, the guy that tried to kill all of the Jews, ends up being killed by the king because he tried to do something that went directly against his queen. Esther, guys, had a very, very clear opportunity in front of her to do the right thing. She didn't have a good community around her, but she chose to do the right thing and press forward. Esther figured out her purpose when she was 19 years old because she was placed in a strategic position for a strategic time to do something highly strategic. And guys, for me, I created and found my purpose when I was 19. I was about, so fast forward from 500 BC to the spring of 1987. <laughs> a little bit of a jump, right? So if all of you are trying to figure out how old I am, I'm 50, if you're trying to do the math quickly in your head. Um, I'm about to graduate from high school and I would go to make what to me would be top three of the biggest decisions that I would ever make in my life. I was faced with two things that I could do in that summer. I could move to Nags Head, North Carolina. Anybody ever been to Nags Head? Anybody ever even heard of Nags Head? Kind of, sort of. I could move to Nags Head, North Carolina with a bunch of absolute derelicts, rent a house, work in a restaurant, live on the beach, and just have a great summer. Or I could move to the, to the hills of Pennsylvania, an hour outside of Pittsburgh, and work at a camp where I'd never been, didn't know anybody, and knew nothing about. Easy choice, right? What do you do? Max Head, right? Of course. What did I do? No, I went to Pennsylvania. I went to Pennsylvania. So I decide I'm going to go and be a camp counselor. So I graduate from high school. I get in the car that my parents had just given me and I drive six hours north following a map, paper map. Anybody know what that is? Paper map, thank you, some of the older guys in the room. You guys know what a, I would have to literally pull over on the side of the road and look at the map so that I knew where I was going. But you know what was going through my, my you know what was racing through my veins on that six hour drive by myself without a cell phone, because they didn't exist, Actually, I had, a fake, I had a fake cell phone in my car that I used to pretend that I was talking on when I was driving. It's another story. Um, six hours in the car by myself. Do you know what's racing through my body? Fear. What am I getting myself into? I'm getting ready to walk into a community of people that I know nothing about and I'm supposed to spend the next 10 weeks here. My buddy walks into that addiction recovery center with fear because he didn't know what he was getting into. Queen Esther walks before the king. Fear, fear, fear. Fear can be absolutely grippling. Crippling, not grippling, crippling. It can, it can do, it can just absolutely halt us in our tracks. But when I tell you within 10 minutes of arriving at this camp, I knew that I'd made the greatest decision in my life. 
because there were a group of people there that were all bought into the community, but they were all moving towards a single purpose. And that single purpose is the same purpose that we share at Purpose on Tap, which is to encourage you guys sitting here to find your purpose in Christ. And because of that community worked for me, I was able to grasp that purpose. But if the community hadn't worked, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Just like that fear and dread I had walking down that hallway with my buddy. Oh, dear God, let this community work for him so that he can grasp a hold of this purpose. The community had to work. I'd go on to work at that camp for five years, and it changed my life. Fast forward from the late 80s, the Reagan decade. Fast forward to last August. I'm an early bird. I get up early all the time, and I love to get up early and, and go run. Um, and I run at the school where my kids go to school. I run on the track. I've got a bad knee. I know it's boring to run on the track, but I run on the track anyway. But I get there early on a Saturday morning, and uh, the night before, there had been, uh, there had been a, a high school, there had been a football game the night before, and some of the trash was still around, so I knew nobody had come to clean up. Um, but I get out on the track and I start running around the track and as I'm coming around kind of the backside, I look down in the grass and right down in the grass is this just large pile, not of dog crap, but a large pile of ice that's sitting down in the grass. Now, it's August. It is hot as hell in Atlanta in August, even at 6.30 on a Saturday morning. It was probably already 78 degrees outside hot as blazes. So I, I went on and I ran around and I, when I came back around again, I thought, how's that ice able to stay ice when it's 80 degrees, 75, 80 degrees out here? And that ice had to have been dumped out the night before because I was the only one there that was on, that was there walking around the track running. It's really more of a slow jog, not really a run, but <laughs> clock, clock me with a calendar. Um, but as I looked at, that, it looked at that pile of ice, it took me a couple of more laps going around. And then it, then it began to hit on me. It began to dawn on me. Guys, that ice was ice because of the other ice. And where it was positioned on that track in the right amount of sunshine or the right amount of shade, whatever you want to call it, but that ice stayed ice because of the other ice. If I had run by and grabbed a piece of that ice and took it around to the other side of the track and set it down on the track, by the time I came back around, you know what that ice would have been? It would have been water. But it stayed ice because of the ice. Guys, if you don't remember anything I've said, if you can't remember my cool stories or anything like that, I want you to, think, I want you to remember that ice analogy. Because that ice was positioned in the perfect environment for exactly what it was supposed to do. And it was able to stay ice because of the other ice that was in and around it. And if you want to stay ice, you got to be around other ice. Now, I know a lot of you guys, um, I know a lot of you guys have been coming here. You enjoy being here. Um, there, you know, there's a lot of neat things about coming here. Um, but guys, showing up once a month for an event like this, having a couple of free beers, shooting the breeze, and I'm sure many of you are still 
discussing why on earth Kirby did that damn fake punt. <laughs> Too soon, I'm sorry. Too soon. Why did he do the fake punt? We all knew it was coming. Um, but you know, a lot of us are dealing with a lot of things a lot more serious than worrying about UGA football. You can look around and there's 10 guys. That's all right. There's 10 guys sitting around you. There's a real good chance that if there are 10 guys sitting around you, one of those married, one of those guys, if you've got 10 married guys that are sitting around you, there's a real good chance that one of you is considering, pursuing, or actively in an extramarital affair right now. There's a real good chance that one or two of those 10 guys sitting around you is struggling with depression, suicide, alcoholism. And there's a really strong chance that three or four of those 10 guys sitting around you have a tragic addiction to internet pornography. That's not the kind of stuff you're gonna sit around here and have a conversation about. Because it's not, it's not an easy thing to talk about. Guys, the reason that that community is gonna work for my buddy is because he's embraced the community. The reason that camp worked for me was because I was able to embrace the community and find my purpose. The reason that ice stays ice is why? Because of the other ice and the community and the situation that it finds itself in. I wanna close with two thoughts and two challenges that I wanna give you and then, we're gonna, and then we're gonna rewind back to the 16th century and I'm gonna give 17th century and I'm gonna give you one more thing to think through and then we can take some questions. If you are not reading something on a daily basis that has a Christian message associated with it, I want you to take one of these. Now, I'm gonna ask that everybody takes one. We've got stacks of them in the back. Is there anybody, if, you're, if you absolutely don't wanna take one, I still want you to take one. <laughs> Fair enough? Just humor me. And all I ask is that it makes it to your car. You don't have to take it inside. You don't have to, anything more than that. But I want you to have it with you. This is something that you can read in one minute a day. And the incremental value of reading something with a Christian message once a day is gonna be a huge thing. The other thing when you walked in, you got one of these cards. Everybody pull your card out. Come on, come on, come on. You can do it. Bobby. I didn't Pull your card out. Hold it up in the air for me. Let me make sure you've got one. All right. Chase, you got yours? All right. On that, we have identified lots of options for small group opportunities for you guys to get involved with. This is an if-then statement from high school geometry. If you want to find your purpose the way that you, then you will get involved with a small group environment. A lot of you don't want to join a small group. Why? Fear. Fear. You're afraid. You don't want people to know that you're wrestling with an extramarital affair. You don't want people to know you're depressed, that you're probably an alcoholic, that you're thinking about suicide, or that you've got an internet pornography addiction that keeps you at work at night 
instead of going home to be with your family. Because the chances are real strong that's going on. And the way that you're going to get out of that is not coming here once a month and shooting the breeze and being pissed off about Kirby Smart faking that punt. You're going to get yourself involved in a group. Last thing I want to run past you. 1600s, there was a guy named Blaise Pascal. Some of you have heard of him. Mathematician, physicist. I don't even know what he was. Lots of ists. He did lots of stuff. But he came up with this idea that's now referred to as Pascal's Wager. And he said, if you, if you pursue the Christian life and it ends up not being true, what have you really lost? Maybe you've given up a few luxuries. Maybe you've given away some of your money. Maybe you've given up some Sunday mornings to go to church. But if it ends up all not being true, you've still lived a good life. But if you don't pursue it, and it is true, you have eternal separation from God. So my question to you guys is, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose by investigating? You may not believe it. That's great. Fine. You may not believe it. You may not think anything of it. But my challenge to you is start investigating it. Start taking a look at it and asking some hard questions. On that, sheet, on that piece of paper, my email address is on there. If you want to come sit in on my group on Friday morning and ask me hard questions and mock me or whatever you want to do, or you can sit here and mock me, we're going to have some questions, great. But my challenge to you guys is, my takeaway to you is start investigating. Because you've got stuff in you that's holding you back, and we all have that kind of stuff. And fear is a great way to keep us from pursuing and beginning to investigate. I had to physically go to my buddy's house and drive him over there because the fear was too much for him to go. I'm sure Esther had to be encouraged to get out of her fear. I was terrified driving up to camp to what I was going to get into. And you're going to have to try a couple of different of these groups. You're going to have to experience some different ones. Come to mind if it doesn't work, great. I've had plenty of guys come in and try it and they didn't like it. That's fine. But I want you to start investigating. And I want you to, to just take that little bit of step out. Because I know for a lot of you, it's a big step just coming here tonight. And we're greatly appreciative that you're here. But my challenge to you is, my takeaway for you is, you got to take a step. And you got to move out of that fear and investigate and try it. That's enough for me. I'm happy to take questions. Say it again. I, yes, I, I spoke to him last week, and he's making steps forward. It's hard. He still wants to leave after 30 days. Hey, Johnny. Uh, so looking back in your 20s and 30s, what do you think you wasted the most time on, and what do you wish you'd spend that time doing? That's Bobby's question. For you guys that have been here, Bobby asks that every single time. And Harris has been threatened to beat you. Threatened to do it, and he beat you well to done, it. John. So what did I waste time doing? And what do you wish you'd spend that time doing instead? I would say I probably wasted a lot of time in fear, worrying about the things that I could not control. Um, you know, I'm a big, I, I tend to worry about a lot of things. I've got three daughters, so I have a right to be worried about a lot of things. Mostly about people like you. That's a big worry that I have. Um, and I might be 50, but I'll still take most of you. I'm, I'm still have to go out there and take most of you. 
Um, no, serious level, I would say, you know, I would say being fearful of the things that I can't control um, to the point of, not to the point of like, like physically sick, but it's crippling. Fear, fear is crippling. And what about 98% of the things that we're fearful of never come to fruition. You notice that? Look back on your life. Think about the things that you worried about when you were 14. Did it really matter? No, of course not. So I would say fear, and I think I, I wish I had probably spent, um, I don't know, what the second part, more, wish I'd focused more on? Yes. The, With that time you spent on fear, what do you wish you spent on instead? I mean, I think, maybe probably just being more intentional, you know, with relationships and not being, because when you're fearful, even if you're in conversation with somebody, if Cole and I are sitting there having a conversation and I'm worried about, you know, what's coming down the pot, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be distracted. Um, and I think fear is also a result of just simply not trusting that God has his perfect hand upon you. Um, yeah, that's what I would think. KG. Why'd you pick camp over the beach? <laughs> Good question. Um, you really, you want me to really tell you? I can, I can tell you just a little bit of a, a longer version of that. I went, um, I went up to, up to, I was in college in North Carolina and I went up to DC at Thanksgiving to meet the people that ran the camp. And they said, oh yeah, we'll send you a contract, we'll send you a contract, all that kind of stuff. Well, it just never came. So that was November. Um, I went to boarding school in, in Virginia. And so I left to go away for spring break, okay? I left to go away for spring break and they still hadn't gotten in touch with me. So my spring break was like two weeks. And so as I'm going back to school, I made the offhand comment to my dad and I said, I said, you know, I said, dad, I know you want me to go to camp, but these guys have been dragging tail for so long. If I get back to camp and there's not, a, if, and they have not sent me a letter, then I'm not, I'm not gonna go. Um, you're not going to believe me when I tell you this. I go back to school. I go to my mailbox. There is how many letters in my mailbox? No, not 12, but <laughs> just one. And it was from Boswell, Pennsylvania. And it said, here's your contract. And that was absolutely the tipping point for me because that led me going to a place that completely changed my perspective on life. Um, I mean, last year, three of those guys that I was counselors with, we all met up in Arizona and went out to Sedona and hiked and picked up, you know, right where we left off back in the 80s when we all had mullets and, you know, <laughs> it was awesome. We were talking about, were we talking about acid wash jeans? I think we were talking about that. If you guys had some of those. Somebody else over there. Go ahead, man. What was your experience at that camp that changed your life? Well, I would tell you, you know, of course the right thing would be to say it was, it was a total Christian thing, but actually there were just absolutely smoking hot girl counselors that were there. That was a huge part of it. Uh, that was, yeah, that was a, that was a, no. My, my, uh, maybe give me, maybe give, tell me the question one more time I got myself sidetracked. <laughs> Not, not, that we ever, not that we ever snuck out at night and made out down by the water. We never did that. But anyway, a little sidetrack. Anyway. Says the father of three girls. 
Right, exactly. That's right. They don't do that, though. Right. Go ahead. Say. What was your experience yeah. at that campus? You know, that's a great question. Thank, thank you. Yeah, thank you for that question. You know, my experience there was, it was the first time that I had been around other people who were a lot more like me. It was like my buddy when he walked into that, into the rehab center and he met those guys that were a lot like him. I met guys that looked like me, talked like me, acted like me, who were actively pursuing their faith. And I'd never been around that. I'd never experienced that. And girls too, all kidding aside. But yeah, they were attractive, but that was also a cool thing too, that they, it was everybody was moving in the same direction. And yes, our goal was to help the younger kids that were there, and you know, we were there to be camp counselors, but it was really about creating an environment that's pushing you and pushing you. So that was, that was really the biggest thing for me, and that kind of set me on the right trajectory going forward, going to college, because I, I knew that I could seek those, I could seek people out that were like-minded. And so it was, it was an encouragement to me to know that I had those people. And like I said, ended up staying there. I ended up going back every summer when I was in college and loved it. I mean, I'd, I'd get home from school and I'd, two days later I'd be off to camp. So that was a critical thing in my life. You know, the, the boundaries that I put in place, I mean, I was talking with some guys last night. I've got a group of guys that I was meeting with last night. Most of them are here today. Um, when I tell you that the incremental value of reading something with a Christian message every day is critical, I can't stress that enough. Um, it, it sucks growing up in the world. I, I hate the world that my girls are growing up in. I don't like it. I don't like the world that they're growing up in. Um, and so I want, I, want, I want to encourage them and, and spur them. And it's so important who you hang out with. Somebody. Who, who is it that said in our group, you're the average of your force link? Was it Brad? You're the average of your five friends. So think about that. You're the average of your five friends. Five guys sitting around thinking of good Christian things to do can accomplish one thing. Five 19-year-old guys sitting around the SAE house at University of Georgia at 2 o'clock in the morning can accomplish other things, right? The people that you're hanging out with, that's going to be a huge, that's going to, I mean, that's going to be your boundaries. Hey, yeah, that sounds great. You know, famous redneck last words, hold my beer, or hey man, watch this, or watch what I'm getting ready, you know, I mean, that's just, who you're hanging out with, who, you're, who, who you are moving and going through life with makes a monumental difference in your life. And then when you get married, it's who you can hang out with as couple friends, you know, that are, that are encouraging you. And see, that's why community is so important. That ice, don't, I really don't want y'all to forget that. That ice stayed ice because of the other ice. You move that ice out and you separate it from the other ice and you know what happens? It melts. It stays ice when it's with ice and other like-minded people moving in the same direction. It's, I was just telling these guys last night that I was meeting with, I've read the same almost not every day. Most of my life, I've read a devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. It's by a guy named Oswald Chambers. Um, it is kick you in the nuts, strong devotional coming at you. It does not mess around. Um, it, it goes straight to it, hits it hard. Um, I'm always reading different books. I mean, I, I love Tim Keller. I mean, I, I, you know, of course, who doesn't? 
Um, I love C.S. Lewis. Um, you know, anything that you can find, but you always, you always want to be going back. That's why I said, look, if you're going to get involved in a small group, you know, you want to be in one that's got a biblical focus to it. It's great to be in a small group that is more like the Rotary Club. There's nothing wrong with the Rotary Club, but let's call it what it is. If you're going to get involved with, in a small group, you need to be in one that's got a biblical basis to it. It's got a biblical foundation. It doesn't mean that you just read the Bible the whole time. You can steer off and do different things. But anyway, back to your question. My utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers. Pull out your phone right now and order it on Amazon. It's probably about 15 bucks. I'm sure there's an app that you can get it. But that one, and, and you know, just, you know, any kind of book that's a good diversion, but I always go back to scripture. Go ahead, Christopher. You mentioned fear. Yeah. Uh, how do you overcome fear on a daily basis? Well, I could tell you, you know, I just pray right through it and I'm all good. Um, but it, it is, you know, the other day I had something, I had something that was really weighing on me. And I just had to just continually remind myself that, you know, fear is very, fear says that I don't trust God with this situation. That's what fear is. Christian or not. Look, small group, get involved with one. You don't have to believe it. You don't have to think it's true. You don't have to do anything. I just want to challenge, I just want to encourage you to take the steps. But we're fearful of doing that, of taking those steps. But we have to remind ourselves continuously that God is not a God of fear. Um, he's a God of trust. If that didn't answer, I'll try to answer it a different way. I got another question, Fitz. Being a spiritual leader of your household, are there intentional things you do to, to lead your family? You know, when the girls were young, um, my girls are 20. I've got a one girl, that's a, my oldest is a sophomore at UGA. My middle daughter is a junior in high school, and my youngest is in sixth grade. Um, you know, when my kids were younger, we did a lot of, you know, kind of intentional stuff. But a lot of what I do now is I, I'm really more kind of have one-on-one -on -one conversations with my kids. I mean, of course, we go to church and we do all that kind of stuff. Um, but a lot of it is, you know, sitting at dinner table, talking about, you know, they always, you know, ask me about stuff that I'm doing and, you know. So being, being intentional about my conversations, but like a family as a whole, we did a lot of that more when they were younger, but, you know, dinner seems to be like last about seven minutes. I mean, it's like everybody comes in, boom, and then, every, you know, everybody goes out. So to me, it's really being more intentional about talking to my girls individually. That's really more what I do. I'm trying to set that example, you know, with my wife and giving, you know, making sure that we have specific time to talk through things and talk through issues. Anybody else? Yo. How do you, um, how do you help somebody that has a fear, but they don't want to necessarily talk about the problems that they're having? Beat it out of them. <laughs> you know, I have found, you know, that's a great, you know, there, there's a guy sitting in here tonight that I was having a conversation with two days ago, sitting at a restaurant, talking through. Um, and I, I'm pretty good at asking people questions. I like to sort of consider myself a pretty good question answer. I've been married to a lawyer for 21 years, so I've learned how to at least answer questions, and now I'm learning how to ask questions. Um, <clears throat> everybody has something that they are fearful of. Everybody does. 
we've all got stuff that we're concerned about, worried about, and things we don't want people to know about. Um, so I just kind of keep asking questions until I feel like I've kind of gotten at something. But if somebody ultimately doesn't want to talk about something, they're not gonna, I mean, they're not gonna want to talk about it. Um, but, you know, my, my purpose is helping you guys find your purpose. That's, that's my purpose, that's what I do. That's what I, you know, that's what my life is now. So I'm, I'm trying to help anybody that wants to be helped. And a, a big way that you're gonna find that purpose is to overcome that fear. So you have to be, so a lot of times I'll just keep asking and asking and asking. Um, and sometimes they answer and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they respond and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they quit calling me back. Um, and that's okay. You know, I've had guys who've shared stuff with me and then all of a sudden they're like, whoo, I didn't want to let that out so I don't hear from them anymore. And that's, you know, I can't, I can't force somebody to keep having conversation. So, anybody else? One more? Okay. I've talked enough. Way in the back. What made you start Purpose on Tap? Like, what was the inspiration? You were, Ben. Because <laughs> we could just tell a guy like you needed an awful lot of, no, I'm kidding. Um, Clayton mentioned, I've, I've, been, I've been leading a small group for the last couple of years, and we started having conversations about, hey, how can we create something um, that's gonna be a forum for a lot, of, a lot of other guys to get involved with. So Clayton and I started having conversations with Calder and Matthew and David. Where's David? D-Rice, there he is in the back. Matthew and, and Calder over here on the side. We just started having conversations. Hey, what can we do we can create a venue because uh, it's real hard to argue with this venue. I would give this the coolest, probably the, arguably the coolest venue in Atlanta. It's very hard to argue with this venue and it's very hard to argue with free beer. <laughs> if you can't get people to come to that, you might want to, you might want to. That's why I showed up. Right, I know you did. <laughs> I know you did. So we wanted to create a venue and we wanted to be very intentional um, about making sure that people understood what our mission was because our mission is very simply to encourage you to find purpose in Christ. And we know, that's where it's, that we know that's where it is, but we also know that fear is something that's going to keep you from investigating it. So we want to make it as easy as we can for you. Guys, thanks for being here. Um, Tucker, that was awesome. I think uh, I have an opinion about the question two times ago about kind of helping people through fear. And I think one thing that, Tucker, you would probably agree with this is the more transparent you are with that person, it kind of eases the, the fear that they have to be transparent back. Um, and so I think that that's something I've learned with my close buddies and my small groups is that when I'm willing to sort of open up my hood, and, and share my junk, it, it eases their fear to, to want to at least share theirs and understand it and be comfortable with it. Because we all have it, it's just who's willing to talk about it. Um, so Tucker, that was great. Um, I think I want to reiterate that we want to encourage guys that are here, this is awesome to come once a month. You know, we're next year going to meet 10 times, not nine times, but still that's just 10 times a year. There's a lot of time in between. There's 355 other days where you guys are dealing with stuff. So that's why that card that he had, this devotional, that's an opportunity to get plugged into stuff outside of just being here and hanging out um, and having some beer. Um, 
we will, in the back afterwards, these, uh, the coolest hat in town will be selling for five bucks. Caller will be back there if you want to grab a hat. Um, that guy right there. Um, so go go grab one if you want one of those. We will not meet until February, and we have a guy, Ronnie, the chicken man. This is actually, he leads the Bible study with Jeff Foxworthy down at the mission. Um, but uh, he, he has some cool stories. Calder just told me he recently shared a story about he survived. The uh, Dixie Mafia had a $800 hit on him, um, and he survived that experience. Which he's he's a he's a he's a he's a he's a character. So when your name is the Chicken Man, you, you have stories. So very bodies. Yeah, there may or may not be bodies that is buried. But, um, yeah, so he'll be our speaker in February. Uh, we will again not meet in January. Um, We've had an awesome 2018. This will be our third year next year, so we're excited to keep growing and having you guys be a part of this community. Um, is there something? Is there anything else I'm missing, detail-wise? But hang out. We'll still be here. Um, again, this has been great. And again, the fear that Tucker talked about—that that can be debilitating and paralyzing. And, and we encourage you guys to just take that first step. And having to be intentional and proactive is a way to get over that fear. So thanks again, Tucker. Crushed it. Um, and thanks.